Oh, welcome to the Bluminati podcast presented by RP Electrical Solutions, LLC, 813-426-6592. Find them on Facebook at RP Electrical Solutions, LLC. Again, that phone number is 813-426-6592. Can they fix Colin's air conditioning? Yes, they probably can. Um, it's really cold see, right see, here. He's on the couch. We gave him a mic, and I saw already saw him reach for it. See, oh, uh, you guys don't need me. I'll I'll just stay off in the corner until you we talk uh, shit about me. Though I'm going to use the damn microphone. <laughs> then guess what? You're going to use the yeah, damn microphone. Yeah, you're going to be using it a lot. All right, so we've got around the table. Colin, shut up. Around the <laughs> around the table, we've got Stieg, we've got Vito, we've got Senator Giggity, and we have Connor. Got her. Yep. We're all here. Uh, we are sending Stieg and Connor to Houston to cover the game. So we're going to have wall-to-wall coverage this weekend at Houston. Um, hopefully Stieg makes it uh, to the game because we'll never know what happens in Houston on Friday night with per diem. We told, yeah, we told him about the per diem, and then he basically said, yeah, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> Hear that sound? That's the uh, the envelope with their credentials in it. Except they spelt the blog's name wrong. It says the Daily Stampede period com. Period com. As opposed to dot com spelt out. That's weird. God, they need, interesting. They need to fix that. They really do. Um, so assuming. I think we should probably just get right into it. Um, USF won, so they're seven and zero, and that's really game? that all that matters, right? Yeah, yeah no, Con- no, nothing, nothing else. else matters. Like Con- Metallica said, context does not matter. Just like in the last podcast, the wizard Colin Sherwin said they were going to be seven and zero, so he was correct. <laughs> Is that why he's over in his cave right now? Um, <laughs> probably. Um, so in my preview, I basically roasted UConn and said, "Well, USF will win sixty-four to 12. Nailed it. I didn't believe it. <laughs> I didn't believe it. we were we were too negative last week, so I decided, eh, let's just go super positive in the preview. Always trust your gut, fellas. Too positive. So uh, it was a tale of two halves for the fir- uh, for the offense. Uh, once again, they struggled once again in the first half. Two turnovers, uh, three punts, and then uh, they finally got together on the last drive of the first half. And uh, it's just super frustrating. And I know. Senator, you're probably going to freak out on me right now, Uh but I just want to let you know it was not the offensive play calling on the first half. Not the first half, no. Not the entire game. The entire – this was a damn near flawless game by offensive coordinator Sterling Gilbert. Um, I know that's not on brand, but I swear to you it was perfect. It's on brand for me. So he did his job. He definitely did his job, and uh, literally, honestly, the first half came down to execution, and we hate that word, and it seems it's like it's a dirty word um, because they're just kids, and why aren't the coaches putting them in the better positions? Who who coaches the offensive line? Uh, Matt Maddox. Okay, he's next. (laughs) (laughs) Um, maybe. Uh, so let's take a look. I'm looking at the drive chart for uh, USF in the first quarter and what sticks out, uh, were penalties. Um, so on third and six, uh, Blake rushed for two yards, illegal block. Um, and it kind of kills any momentum and pushes USF further out of field goal position on the very next play on uh, third and 21 instead of third and six, uh, Blake, and Mitch have a miscommunication. Um, it looked like it was going to be a middle screen to tight end Mitchell Wilcox. And uh, what 
Blake said post game was Mitch got out too quick. Then so Blake had to throw quick. When you do that, Mitch's eyes weren't fully around. Pops off his hands, and that's what happens when you throw the ball over the middle and it gets tipped. Got picked off. Um, that that'll happen. Um, on the next drive, if Blake sets his feet on the interception, it's a touchdown. Um, he has Mitch streaking down the field, but what Blake does is he, he does not set. He keeps running and throws it and it, he doesn't get his entire body behind the throw and you see it kind of stop dead in its tracks and it's easily picked off by UConn. Um, and then another, uh, a sack, um, on third and eight kills their third possession of the first quarter. Um, running back Jordan Cronkite was the man responsible for that. Unfortunately, um, he didn't, they brought the house. They had enough guys to protect and he's, they still got home, um, and missed the block. And that's basically why that and the fumble are why Jordan thinks he probably had a bad game. Um, and he stepped up on Twitter and apologized. He did. I thought was amazing. It was unnecessary, but it was amazing. And I, I want to give a, a testament to how Sean King coaches his running backs because typically running backs are kind of put onto one metric of uh, how many, well, two metrics technically, of how many you know rushes, rushing yards you get and how many touchdowns you get. Basically all that you think about with running backs. But Jordan, unfortunately, really struggled in the passing game and setting up you know, good blocks for Blake, and it showed this game, and that's where he, I mean, he was pissed after the game mm-hmm. he did not want to talk to media and yet nope. you know he you know got up there and said he had a bad game and you know you can talk about him going five straight games with 100 yards he didn't he didn't care mm-hmm. he he knew he blew a few uh blocking assignments there so a testament to coach king for having his uh running backs in the right mindset there for mm-hmm. uh what they need to do and also what's up mr ford <clears throat> oh yeah he showed up <clears throat> yeah uh i mean johnny ford uh seven carries 164 yards something like that um 23 yards per carry the guy was insane and what's that record yeah yards <laughs> per carry what minimum five minimum carries five. minimum five carries yeah um 23.4 yards per carry three touchdowns um Beautiful spin move on that final touchdown. Yes. Spin uh, move to freedom. My really 80s cover was. band. It was. Should have had another one, but he ran out of gas and looked like he had either a stinger or something. Yeah. It looked like when he, when he got tackled, it looked like he fell on the ball. And I, kind I thought of you were about to make a lot of him. puns. Like and he ran big, out of gas and <laughs> got a flat tire. <laughs> oh. And it didn't have much of a fiesta. Those are all four things. Those are very, yeah. That, that, that's why you're better at this than I. Hmm. That's why I'm giving up the microphone. Anyway, go Johnny Go. <laughs> go I was Johnny just going to say, Ford, that big 78-yarder he had, that was the uh, USF's longest non-scoring run ever. So just a huge day for him. And, of course, he was named to the American Honor Roll as well. That's yep, a yesterday. dubious honor. You get the longest thing that nothing happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> I know something. Yeah, I know. Field yeah. goal happened after. It did lead to a field goal. 17-point <laughs> third quarter. Actually, wasn't that the one where they, uh, they missed the field goal? Oh, oh maybe. <laughs> I was right. Oh, worse. Hold on, let me look at the play-by-play. My favorite, uh, my favorite thing is after um, they were. You, if you watch the the film, no, he it, made it. Oh, he made it. He made it. Oh, he made okay. that field goal. If you watch, if you watch the, the not as funny. The his run. Yeah. He screen. He screen peaks. He he was oh, running yeah. head down like straight ahead, and then <laughs> yeah. he looks up and saw the defender behind him, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I just want to go over the the last drive of the first half for the USF was, uh, just a prototypical like perfect drive in the veer and shoot. All right. 
Uh, first down, uh, Wilcox goes for 13 yards. Uh, another first down. They started the drive off with three straight first downs. 13 yards for Mitch, 15-yard run for Kronk, another 14-yard for Kronk, and they're from the 20 to the 48 real quick. Um, and then uh, hits Mitch for seven after UConn calls a timeout. Uh, Darnell for eight, Mitch for eight, and then Johnny Ford finished it off with a 15-yard run straight up the middle. And it was uh, that's the offense that we saw uh, against Georgia Tech and we've seen in the second half of most of these games. Um, and that drive kind of carried over to the second half. And, uh, I mean, I, I want to pull up the numbers here. Uh, the first half drives, uh, against the FBS teams, um, they're pretty much equal in drive amount. Uh, first half USF has 39 drives. They've scored six touchdowns on those 39 drives, which is 15%. They've thrown seven interceptions. You have Blake, Blake has thrown more interceptions in seven games than Quentin threw all of last year. It's a different offense. I get that. But there's been some real uh, doozies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was one throw that he threw into triple covers that Tyree came down with that. We were, uh, us three in the press box, Connor Sieg and I, we were like, oh, why'd you throw that? <laughs> oh, man, that was close. Um, and then 19 punts in the first half, which is 48.7%. Um, so they've scored on nine of 39 drives in the first half. That's 1.3 points per possession, which is not going to get it done. And then conversely, second half drives have been absolutely ridiculous. 38 drives, 18 touchdowns, four field goals. They're scoring 3.63 points per possession, and they're scoring 57.8% of the time. And that's kind of what you're going to see um, go right for this offense. And uh, this is what we want to see. And I think USF did their job offensively in the second half. Um, it just honestly execution is what killed him in that first half. Yeah. And, uh, I, I found this interesting stat that I, I don't like going off of points per game or, uh, points per half or anything like that, but USF is in like, I believe, I don't remember the exact ranking, but they're really, really low on points per half in the first half. Mm-hmm. And in the second half, they're second in points per game, you know, and of course in the second half, it's pretty skewed because you get teams like Alabama that are up 48, nothing at halftime. And then they, you know, win and they only score seven points in the second half, but yeah. it is, you know, once that offense gets going, it's, it gets going and they, they score a lot more And that, that second half that whatever they say in the locker room, whatever Sterling does to adjust the offense and the second half, it works. You know, we, we, we shit on uh, Sterling a lot, but you know, we got to give credit where credit's due when, you know, we're coming and when the, when the offense works, we have to give it credit where it's due. And in the second half, it works. Yep. We just need to figure out how to make it work in the first half. Yeah. Where it's um, not starting slow. To your point, USF has scored 93 points in the first half this season. They've scored 88 points in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, that that's yeah, pretty much were, every uh, one of those were necessary. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, they shouldn't have been that. Yeah, probably um, looking at the USF drive chart in the second half, uh, the touchdown to Randall St. Felix, which um, the one play 75 yards, it was nearly identical to the MVS touchdown from last year against UConn. The only difference is against MVS, uh, the MVS one. It was max protect 10 yard hitches. In this one, it was uh, two by two, four wide, six yard hitches and gone. And MVS was 95. This was 75. Those are the key differences. But it was nearly spot on um, when it happened. And then so touchdown 
uh, missed field goal. It looked like Kobe Weiss slipped on that field goal attempt. I think that's why he kind of pushed it right. It was the cast on his arm. It probably it probably weighed him down. Um, field goal attempt. Uh, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. Jordan Cronkite fumble, touchdown. Three kneel downs. Uh, or they got the first down to kind of end the end the game, and then the three kneel downs. Um, they only had one three and out the entire game, which is good. That's kind of what you want to see. Um, but again, penalties first half kind of crushed. USF and miscues and sacks back to the uh, three and out thing for a second. Um, that was the first time that we didn't have more than well, uh, I'll rephrase it. The last time we only had one three and out was against Georgia tech. And that, you know, that is pretty much everyone's consensus on that was our best offensive performance. Mm-hmm. That was the only other time. So, and then you look at the time that we struggled to get when we had a bunch of three and outs, you know, the ECU game, Worst offense performance. And so really, you know, if if we can, this sounds so stupid. If we can get a first down on your drive, we're going to be successful. Uh, and it, that sounds really it, stupid. It, it, uh, it, it sounds really stupid. But when <laughs> this season I've been charting um, our first down plays, um, I've been charting it since basically um, I did the first half against Elon. I didn't count the second half because FCS teams comes. don't count. Um, but ever since then, I've been charting it. And there is a clear difference in how our drives and how our games look when we get, when we string together consecutive drives without three and outs. Mm. Um, you know, when you look back to the Tulsa game, uh, we had, I think two or three, three and outs in the first half. I believe so. And that resulted in no points. We didn't have a single three and out in the second half, or actually we had one three and out in the second half, I should say. Yep. Um, so it's just, you know, it, it sounds stupid, but the more <laughs> you insane drives, even if you just get one first down, you're still able to flip the field because you have Aussie punter Trent Schneider who can flip the field pretty pretty well. So it's just getting that momentum and getting the receivers basically comfortable and getting running backs in the hole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I was kind of going through the game notes uh, from USF that they posted and something popped out uh, to me. Um, USF has forced 13 turnovers this year, uh, and the offense has converted nine times on touchdowns off, off of those turnovers. It happened again with Nick Roberts returning that interception, um, 61 yards to the 15 yard line. Very next play, Johnny Ford up the middle, I believe, uh, for a touchdown. And <clears throat> it's those, that's what you need to do. You need, you need to be able to capitalize on those extra possessions that you get. And uh, USF has been able to do that. They've scored a touchdown five consecutive possessions after a turnover. I'd be curious to see what it was last year because I'm assuming it's not going to be that good. Uh, just basing it off of we had a shit ton more turnovers mm-hmm. uh, last year and not as much offensive output. So I'd be curious to see what that looks like. But yeah. alas, we'll I'll find that sometime. Yeah, and, pledge. and then uh, on the on the defensive side, they've been able to limit touchdowns. Uh, USF has uh, coughed up the ball ten times, seven picks, three f- uh, fumbles. They've only given up two touchdowns and then five field goals. Uh, so it. That's it's called bend, don't break. Yeah, exactly. And uh, going into what the defense, what went wrong for the defense, um, I was watching game film today and something really, a couple things really jumped out at me. Uh, is this the tease that you had earlier? This is the tease. This because is the tease, y'all. To, to give this into perspective, Nate didn't tell us. I didn't. He kept this, like normally I, just, I either figure it out or someone figures it out, but Nate didn't tell anyone. I didn't so this will be a surprise for all of us, including Colin on the couch right now. So, uh, what UConn did very effectively were there were three plays that kind of crushed USF uh, inside zone. 
uh, QB power and the read options. Um, I'm going to take you step by step on what happened with inside zones, QB powers and read options. So inside zone is when the tight end, which is lined up as an H back cuts across the back end of the line and takes either the left tackles man or the right tackles man. And then the left tackle or right tackle down block. So they get to the next level quicker and it creates a gap in between the left tackle and the left guard, or they can cut it outside or go inside and USF was constantly crushed by this. And I believe it's because of the linebackers were out of position. Greg Reeves was out. He was completely out of position because he is not a linebacker. (laughs) I was about to say. Uh, Like 100% out of position. And we'll get into Nico in a minute because that's, um, yeah. So, uh, Greg Reeves is not a linebacker, and I think we may see something different this week against Derek King in Houston because it it did not work. Um, what we saw was uh, Greg would come down hard and kind of still get out of position. The defensive line wasn't creating enough push. They were getting pushed back, which kind of doesn't let the the linebackers, the front sevens, the secondary make their run fits. So they're out of position even further. The gaps that were kind of small become bigger and you get gashed constantly. And then QB power, uh, UConn scored on it once. I saw Houston run it multiple times and uh, Derek King did score on one uh, on a QB power on Saturday against Navy. Um, they'll pull the right tackle or the left tackle, depending on if they're going boundary or play side or, you know, and you get that extra blocker and you have a convoy where you're, you're instead of going up against the big boys, you're going up against, you know, Ronnie Hoggins and Mazzy Wilkins instead of the, your defensive lineman. And, and they can kind of create that push. And it's, I mean, it's a really good play when it's run effectively. I don't know how I, it, we'll have to figure out how to stop that because we're going to see a lot of it. And then uh, the read options, I noticed it against Tulsa and I asked uh, defense coordinator, Brian John Marie, if what I saw was correct and it seems I asked him, well, it seems like you, when Tulsa carries out their play fakes, you guys are following the fake instead of finding out where the ball is. And he's like, no, we're, uh, it's a front sevens job. Cause it looked like Jamon Thomas just shot the other way on, uh, both touchdowns. He's like, no, he was in the right position. It was just, uh, the front seven being out of position. Well, then I noticed in the first quarter against UConn, three guys are going one way instead of following the ball. And then it just throughout, it was a reoccurring theme that the ball fakes were freezing the secondary, the defense, uh, much more than I would have hoped because they've played against this offense before they that's basically what Q did for three years was the read options. You got to be able to know where the ball is at all times. And I don't know if Pindle's just too small and he kind of gets lost back there. Um, I was about to say, I think, I think so on to all three of those, the issue with the inside zone and uh, the power is that it relies on that DN to basically uh, guess which one is which, because if you, if you shoot up on an inside zone, 
you're leaving that gap open. Yeah. And if you don't, then you're leaving the outside open on a power. So it's, 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 you know, pick your poison there. So there's a way to stop it. Um, I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty details of it because that's going to be really boring, but there's a way to stop that. It just, it requires um, a not four to five defense to do. Um, and then on the read option, I, I didn't really even notice it that much that when I watched um, UConn's film prior to this game, I didn't notice they ran it that much. So I think the problem was it might've caught them by surprise. It, it, it may have, um, I, UConn motioned a lot, like a ton. Um, and they brought uh, wide receiver motions, just a, a lot of misdirection and it kind of confused the defense a lot. And when you, when they do have motion, you have to reset to that motion. And I don't think USF was getting filling the gaps correctly in that motion. And uh, it, it bit them for <clears throat> over 300 yards. And uh, another thing that I, I think uh, someone pointed this out on Twitter, it might've been someone absolutely random, but this was our third opponent of the season that had two weeks to prepare for us. And it's, I, I don't want to make that excuse because we had two weeks to prepare for UMass and, you know, we, we went, we played well offensively and all right defensively, but you know, when you're given what? That extra, huh? when you're given that extra week to prepare for a team, you can throw those wrinkles and that you don't normally practice too much. So I'd assume that, you know, UConn coaching staff, as as much as I hate Randy Edsall, probably saw that we hadn't seen much wide receiver motion up to this week and decided, hey, let's throw a wrinkle in and see if this, you know, has an effective, you know, outcome on it because it did. And, you know, I'll give credit to him there. You know, when you get two weeks to prepare for an opponent, you kind of can play around a little bit more and have a little bit more fun on your practices and stuff like that. So, yeah. and uh, as after this game, USF moved up to 40th in SP. Um, still trying to figure out where because the defense was kind of atrocious. Um, I'll be the first one to admit that. Uh, and I'd been banging that drum for a while. Uh, they're 53rd Houston. defensively in def- uh, S&P. They're 28th offensively, 109th in special teams. Uh, they did block a, uh, after, uh, extra point. They also missed a field goal, so it kind of negated it. Yeah, a little bit. Um, S&P has USF finishing this season one and four. Only win to Tulane. And Tulane, I don't know what happened with Tulane. They've kind of falling off a cliff um but houston's at 37 percent. cincinnati's at 41 temples of 43 and central florida is a 37 percent win probability but the good news is uh they're very much aware of this uh and uh blake kind of touched on this a little bit during his post-game presser um they uh it, he kept on calling them a faceless opponent which is how it should be uh, you don't necessarily want to look at yourselves in the past and you don't want to look at your opponents and what they've done in the past. You don't want to look at, you know, how they put up, you know, 70 points or how their defense forced like five or six turnovers. You just want to dissect the plays and figure mm-hmm. out how to stop it. Because when you start getting into the mumble jumble of, oh, this offense runs like 75 plays a game, they score so much. That's how you get lost in it. Like how UCF kind of over intimidates everyone. So the fact that this team kind of looks at it every week as a zero and zero week, you know, you're playing this team and nothing else matters. You know, previous record doesn't matter. You know what they did the game before doesn't matter. Just look at the plays, look at what they do and stop it or look at how they run defensively, figure out what you can do to, to find the holes and find the mismatches. Um, So there, there is, 
the coaching staff is doing well at keeping their players so focused on, you know, let's not look at the big flashy numbers that everyone likes to look at. Don't look at the, you know, Heisman like numbers that Ed Oliver's putting up. Figure out how to stop him, figure out how to negate him, figure out how to keep the air king in containment. That's that's how it goes. Yeah. And um so there was a question. Um, a lot of people were asking about Greg Reeves and uh, how his play was. It was uh, up and down. Uh, he definitely was out of position, and he, he said nearly as much uh, post game. It just it's a brand new thing. He had to cover people, and they uh, UConn ran a lot of crossing routes when they did throw the ball, and uh, he was he was chasing around most of the night. Um, I really think we're going to see something different. Uh, this is from. At Lou Vandy, uh, discussed the start Greg Reeves had, and uh, instead of true linebackers like Kirsten Johnson or even Josh Black, um, what will happen again Saturday if Saltel can't go? Uh, Kirsten Johnson was a healthy scratch. He dressed. He never got into the game, per USF's the, the participation chart. Um, but also Jordan Cronkite started at linebacker, so who knows? Um, I think uh, <clears throat> I think the Greg Reeves start was a uh, strategic leadership. Uh, start more than a uh, playmaking ability kind of start. I think the coaching staff knew that they would be fine and manageable, but they needed the guy who knew the defense in and out and can make the adjustments. I think that's why they chose Greg Reeves. Yeah. Other than that, it made no sense to me. I, I would have, yeah. I would have started Kirsten Johnson. When, when I found out the, the, the news that Nico wasn't playing, I would, you know, someone asked, okay, who's taking the spot? I was like, oh, probably like Dwayne Bowles or Kirsten Johnson or someone else. And, Craig Reeves was the someone else. And uh, I think uh, I think Dwayne Bowles probably gets the nod this week. I yeah. Uh, if you want someone to keep up with Derek King. It, it could be him. Or, uh, yeah, I think so. Because um, you kind of want to keep Khalid McGee free to make plays because he still is the, your leading tackler um, after seven weeks. Uh, so I think we should probably just hit it. Um, so Nico Sautel. Uh, hurt upper body. Uh, Coach Strong gave us some more clarification that it was a shoulder issue. Um, I wouldn't expect him on Saturday. Yeah. From what I know, um, that I haven't been able to verify. Uh, that was a wink. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking um, of Saturday, who here can go to San Antonio? I know, or excuse me, I know Colin's going to be in Austin, and guess who's going to be in San Antonio right down the road? Talking to you, dickhead. What? <laughs> I'm going to Austin on Thursday. Okay, I'm well, going to Houston on Friday night, and then Saturday. I don't know if you've heard there's a football game there. I might be interested. In. Well, Ric Flair is going to be in San Antonio this weekend. <laughs> Give me two claps and a Ric Flair. Woo! That's all I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so uh, Nico, I, I wouldn't... He ex- not, he's not going to play Saturday. I, I really don't think he's playing. <laughs> Ric Flair? I think... <laughs> yeah. I think he goes, which is important, but he's not going to play. I think he's listed on the travel roster, but I don't think he plays. And I don't think when, uh, when they come out of that locker room, I don't think he will have pads on. He may not even be there. He may be on the travel roster, but he may not be there. That's happened before, right? It has happened before. Shout you out mean, to Bruce You mean they would be on the travel roster but not travel? Yeah. As long as they don't bring him and leave him. <laughs> that has happened. 
That's so on brand. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Didn't that happen in Texas? As different, well? different. It did. No, well, yeah, yeah it, it did. Yeah. It was coming back from Tulsa. Tulsa. They had a layover at uh, Hobie Baker, and um, <laughs> right, that's the hotel. That's the airport. What? Hobie Baker. Houston Hobby. Hobby. What? what? <laughs> Hobby, Hobby, Hobby Lobby. What? Yeah. What? What's the <laughs> airport called? There's Houston Hobby, and then there's IA. George Bush. Who the hell is George. Hobie Baker? Is that like a? I, I feel like it's a baseball up. player. I think that's Hobie a. Hobie Baker is the hot. Adult, that's an adult film I star. Yeah. Really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, it's the. That's that's Long John Silver's. Best. Is that? Uh, it goes to the best. Is that Jenna Jameson International. No. I'm confused. <laughs> Hope the Hobie Baker goes Moore, to sorry, the sorry. top NCAA ho- hockey player. How the fuck do I <laughs> wow. know that? Man, I hope your wife Man, came into this. You mean Holy collegiate hockey like the USF Ice Bowls being undefeated <laughs> and sweeping the University of no, Oviedo no, 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 College? Which they see here. Which they see here. The Oviedo College? <laughs> yeah. Much like that. How the and hell Miami did I pull too. that out of my yeah, ass? Yeah, seriously, that was a good transition. Oh, we said we should have saved Jesus that for later. Christ. I mean, Frozen Four has been here a couple times, but I'm, I have <laughs> wow. never seen a collegiate ice hockey game. And he's, he's so good, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so yeah, just like our USF ice bowls are very good. Um, so I think before we get into the Twitter questions, uh, is there anything you guys want to wrap up from UConn? Because uh, there's a lot of Twitter questions, um, and we have a special interview coming up. There's one question I've got because um, I was in the stands. I was with a lot of people, and they were very upset at a certain personal foul called on yeah. um, David Pendel for a shoulder-to-shoulder hit, which is what that it appeared was not to be. targeting. At it wasn't. All. I believe they, they, they didn't they call it. Un, they called it a late hit. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at the play again, do you think that that call was warranted? And if so, how come Q never got that same call? Correct me if I'm wrong. Nick Roberts laid the hit. Uh, Mazzy Wilkins. Mazzy Wilkins. Mazzy Wilkins hit the fuck out of him. Yeah. Like, I was, so that was when I came down to the field and I was about 35, 40 yards away from where that took, where that hit and the sonic took boom place. hit you in the tits. I mean, <laughs> I heard his helmet hit turf. Like, and that was grass that he hit. <laughs> like, yeah, it, that it was, was a very, it was a solid hit. lick. There was two very solid licks. It We've, was that one on David Pendell and then Mike Hampton laid out a wide receiver. who kind of like rolled off the yeah, field. Yeah, he did a little bit. I, I'm not a fan. These are kids at the end of the day. I've said this a hundred times. You never, ever want to see the kids hit. Hurt, sorry, but goddamn, we've laid some licks this year. <laughs> this, is a, this is a very hard hitting defense. Yeah, like yes, and across I, the board, I think it's because they're very young and they don't know any better. <laughs> like when you're when you're a senior, you're like, do I have to lay the wood every single play? Probably not. I can just take them down. But Nick Roberts says, "Fuck it," and just yeah. <laughs> wants, wants to take off some heads. Yeah, Mazzy's tweet he's about doing his work. hit. No, he tweeted about his hit. Mazzy Wilkins. So, <laughs> Be the hammer, not the nail. <laughs> that's very. Juicy. I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty fitting. It's it, that is fitting as hell. Um, Twitter questions. I think. I think we've got about a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's I have, see. I have one question. You can either use it or not. So, Nate, you said there were three plays that we struggled with. Yep. Inside zone. Mm. What? Uh, QB uh, power and read options. QB power. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm thinking that those are probably three plays that we should be pretty familiar with. He's never read me. Uh, we run them. Yeah. So why the hell are we struggling in X and O against literally the same plays that we run? About I would say those three plays combined for forty to fifty percent of our total play call. Execution. I think I honestly think it's because without Nico, the defense get, wasn't getting aligned properly. So uh, is just not ready to play. 
I he, he's not a line, but he's one hundred percent not a linebacker. He is a very good wide nine linebacker hybrid kind of guy. Right. Um, but when you put him out in space, he he kind of struggles, um, which is. I mean, he was a walk-on a year and a half ago. Oh, yeah. So uh, there's still going to be some limitations, even though he was fantastic last year. And parts of this year, uh, I think that may have been too much on his plate, which is completely understandable when you're learning a new position in six days. So so who's the... Defensive quarterback, as it will, since Nico was now. That's a that's a great question. Um, we'll talk to Coach BJ um, tomorrow. I think it may have been Greg. He is very heady uh, and smart. He is a very smart kid. Um, it could have been Khalid. It, there, there's three guys. It could have been those two, and then also Kirk Livingstone, who got a lot of snap, a lot of run, but uh, they sub out the DNs frequently, so I doubt it's him. Um, I was about to say, if, if anything, it'd be, it'd be the strong safety that would make the call after that. Because yeah. typically, if, you're, if your middle linebacker's not in, it kind of. Okay. Yeah. So either Makai or Nick. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. <laughs> I mean, it honestly, it could be Ronnie from the nickel doing making those calls. It honestly could be him as well. Um, well, hopefully, we'll get that sorted. Um, but let's, yeah. I, 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 again, to reiterate, if you see Nico, it's, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a miracle, but close to it. Uh, he went to go see the doctor today. We'll find out tomorrow as much as they can give us of how that doctor visit went. And we'll go oh, from I'm there. Sure they'll just hand you the MRI. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, I think USF loves to violate FERPA because we always get everything from them about injuries. That's mm. the, the sarcasm font right there, guys. Um, Comic so, Sans. <laughs> um, Comic Sans. So, Comic Sans is bad jokes. It is. Yes. It's very bad. Just like that joke. Very even worse. Yes. Um, so there was something different that USF did offensively that uh, kind of came to light yesterday or today. Um, it was yesterday uh, because Ed Oliver was questionable um, after a pretty gruesome looking uh, cut block yeah. that, against Navy and terrible. Um, <clears throat> USF ran. They did a lot of cut blocks and it was really good for them. <laughs> So. It works really well. Uh, Just start carrying hatches. I think uh, what was lacking in the uh, passing game against Tulsa was the short routes. It just 17 deep shots out of 40 pass or 39 pass attempts. It's not really kind of what you want. Um, but against UConn, we were getting the five yard outs and Tyree McCants. He went, he caught, um, he now has more catches this year than he did in any previous season. He's topped his career high in uh, season catches. Uh, those five-yard out routes were open all the time. I think Blake may have been like nine for nine on those routes. Um, and a large part of it was because the offensive line was just cutting their guys, kind of opening up the field of view for him. Even though Blake's 6'5", if you can get more room to look at the defense, it, it'll always help. A, and it did a Twitter question that I think we had about two or three or however God it's happened at some point this season. Someone asked what you do with the offensive line when the offensive line is playing bad. This you do this it, and it's it. I hate it because I hate cut blocks. I think cut blocks are a very cheap way of doing things. Um, 
but I also think that cut blocks are really cheap when it comes to doing it when you're in the Naval Academy or Army or Georgia Tech, where you have a gimmicky kind of scheme like that. And you say, are you questioning our armed forces? They're going to um, take your MAGA hat away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, um, this is this is what you do when you have a struggling offensive line. You either do this or you run the swing gate. <laughs> Fucking swinging gate. <laughs> Just one time. Just one time I watched. USF has run it. Has one one time, one time, and it, it. it worked. And I called my brother, and I was like, "Holy shit, you'll never guess what just happened." Speaking it of, worked. Speaking of things, I never thought I would hear happen at a USF football game that it's totally random. The band played Neck. They did twice, twice. And I was sitting in the press box, and both Connor and, and Nate looked at me when they started playing Nate, and I had the biggest grin on my face. <laughs> I was like, "Hell yeah!" Yeah, so, so that's good. Yeah, cut blocks are good when you have a bad offensive line. Number one in stealing everybody else's traditions. <laughs> We're ambitiously that, stealing, damn Yes. It. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Ambition, ambition over, over other traditions. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we got Texas, we got LSU now. Happy homecoming, y'all. We had the green and gold glitter guys. Oh, yeah, Florida State, yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. We did have a woman show her boobies last year. I don't think any other school's done that. You know what? I was the only person in my entire group that saw that, and they are still mad at me. And I just happened to look up. <laughs> I remember look uh, hearing, like, there was an audible, oh, my Oh my God! In the press box uh, from USF's SID, they're like, "What the?" It was. <laughs> oh my God! There are nipples on this field where people literally get paralyzed. <laughs> like Jesus Christ, they're boobs. Let it go. She got kicked out. I know it's a goddamn travesty. <laughs> <laughs> I think she got arrested. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she did. Well, that's, that's public so. I mean, anyway, but no. Um, the funny thing is, the rest of that game, the camera guys, even on males. Or if they would like reach for the bottom of their shirt, they'd cut directly away. <laughs> I oh, can it was funny as hell. I can attest to that actually. The Georgia Tech game, uh, I was wearing a button down, like a like a normal like my uh, it's like an Under Armour Columbia style. And you had one and, uh, no, I just I had it unbuttoned because it was goddamn 175 degrees outside and it was hot as all hell. So I had it unbuttoned. You can say fuck. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep this family friended. Friend, friend, friendly, friendly, family, friendly. Uh, full uh, disclosure: but, uh, I've been feeding. The, uh, cut off. Yeah, cut me off. <laughs> but the uh, the the camera guy told me to button up, and too, I was like, "Too sexy, too sexy." Like, Excuse me, let the dad bod work. <laughs> Sir, you're on ABC. This is a family <laughs> yes. channel. We play Harry Potter sometimes. Uh, not anymore. Um, real quick question: <laughs> for, uh, This from Heath. Right. How sick would a McCants Wildcat? package be that terrifies me <clears throat> that'd be awesome it would be it, uh, it would work. can you throw because that it would work because it, it's scared it terrifies you because it would work and we're not anywhere near touching it yeah and heath we're not answering your other question we're not <laughs> wait a minute what is it let me see it no give me 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 no 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 but i'm gonna i'm gonna list three random people off during this podcast listen out for them that'll be your answer Heath. fuck what is it Oh he, man! Tweet me directly next time. <laughs> um, so right now we are going to talk to the folks at the Scott and Holman podcast who cover Houston. Um, oh, welcome yeah. to the show, guys. So USF is winning by thirty-five this weekend, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> think about that. All right, uh, joining us on the podcast are Dustin and Sam from the Scott and Holman podcast who yeah. cover Houston athletics. Thank you for joining the show, guys. Golf club. Thanks for having yes. us, man. Good to be here. All right. Um, so, 
Ed Oliver should just sit out Saturday, right? We need a. He really needs to rest up <laughs> I for. Think he looks tired. He looks tired. <laughs> the rest of the season. I mean, he's got NFL aspirations. Why risk it against USF? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's entirely possible he ends up not playing. He got uh, his knee messed up a little bit in the Navy game last week after some repeated chop blocks from uh, the Navy offense. I think two were called, and then the third one was pretty bad. That was missed, and then after that, fortunately, by the time that happened, U of H was up by a few scores, so he could uh, he could take the rest of the game off. So I think he is listed as probable. Um, I would be surprised if he doesn't play on Saturday, but uh, it is entirely possible he might not be 100%, and, uh, you know, 80 to 90 percent at Oliver is still a pretty uh, fearsome thing to go up against. But it is definitely uh, I mean, we've seen him in the past when he's been a little bit dinged up and he's been good, but not quite the superhuman at Oliver that we expect. So it's entirely possible that uh, South Florida gets a slightly uh, less uh, intense and dominant performance. And that would be terrible. <laughs> that would just be so bad for us. Um, the only thing I would add to that is like he was walking around fine on the sidelines in Annapolis after he went out. But. Obviously, walking around fine and playing interior defensive line at a high level are two pretty different things. Yeah, probably so. Um, so head coach Charlie Strong described uh, Derek King as he's he said he's almost like Quentin Flowers. Um, fair, fair assessment. I would say Quentin was a better runner than Derek is, and Derek is a better passer than Quentin was. I think people look at Derek and see kind of a wiry guy with some dual threat ability and just kind of assume well his best thing is is running and improvising and he's good at those things but his arm talent has been something to behold his arm talent is is no worse than any quarterback i've ever seen for u of h i think i say this to people and i feel very strongly if Derek king was 6-2 coming out of high school he would have been texas's best prospect not texas's best quarterback prospect he would have been the state's best prospect period end of sentence that's just how smart he is that's just how talented he is just what a winner he is i obviously as you can gather think very highly of Derek king <laughs> well uh, we do not because he's the worst and fourth and 24 are burned into our minds forever <laughs> fourth and Derek. oh dear oh, lord oh, boo. <laughs> um so i'm looking at uh bill Connolly's smp profile for you guys and your sack rate is 1.4%, which is second in the nation. Is that his mobility, or has your offensive line just been dominating everyone? The offensive line has been really good this year. In fact, I think we've only given up four sacks, and three of them were against East Carolina, who was just committed to uh, bringing the house repeatedly, which actually ended up working pretty well. So I'm surprised more teams haven't uh, given that a shot because that did uh, they did have some success with that. Um, but the offensive line has been really improved. It's been a sore spot the last couple of years. Even uh, Herman's last year was it was a weakness of the team, and this year it's gotten to the point where it's been uh, it's been I would say a strength even. So um, we've been really impressed with the. Uh, it's a very upperclassman heavy offensive line. And I mean, certainly Derek has gotten out of uh, a couple of sacks with his athleticism, but I would I would put uh, probably the majority of the credit I would give to the offensive line. Okay, Um, so on Saturday, I noticed in at least in the first half, a lot of drop balls. Was that um, has that been a theme for you guys this year or was it just an aberration? It's definitely been a theme for this team this year. Um, The athletic core, the athletic, you know, the receiving core has been extremely athletic. If I could actually put a sentence together. But they're also extremely inexperienced. All of these guys, except for maybe Keith Corbin, and frankly, he's been seeing a lot more action than he ever has, 
are seeing a lot of their first division one reps this year. These are all guys that were very big recruits, but these are all guys who weren't asked to be significant playmakers in the offense until this year, the receiving core, I think was the youngest and least experienced group on this team coming into the season. And I think the drops are kind of evidence of it, but I think they've also shown that the recruiting pedigree wasn't completely bunk, that they're all very capable in this offense of just making life miserable for opposing defenses. They've been a not insignificant part of why, the Cougar offense has improved so much, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, so uh, out of your running backs, who do you have a home run threat? You know, I'm not sure. We have uh, the running back situation has been kind of up in the air. Terrence Williams, uh, as a transfer from Baylor, was supposed to be the guy. Uh, there's had a lot of fanfare when he transferred over for his senior year this year. He's been kind of injured in and out. Um, I think he was back uh, this last uh, week against Navy. Um, and, you know, the, uh, Patrick Carr and Mobile Carr uh, have been kind of the other guys. So it's been kind of a trio of running backs. Patrick Carr has really been the most uh, consistently um, productive, I would say, through the course of the year. Mobile car has been kind of up and down. Uh, Terrence Williams has been hurt, which is kind of funny because he was the guy who was like third on the, you know, third or fourth on the depth chart uh, to start the year. Um, so I would say, you know, all three of those guys, Terrence Williams, Mobile Car, Patrick Carr, all three of them are capable of, uh, of breaking out a big run. I wouldn't put one of them as kind of the designated home run hitter, but Patrick Carr is to me the, uh, the most consistent performer out of that group so far. Okay. Uh, turning uh, to the defense, uh, you know, outside of Ed Oliver, I, he'll, wreck a game plan who who else is there for you guys that'll that usf fans should watch out for i've been pretty impressed by our two middle linebackers they're both seniors uh roman brown and austin robinson robinson's a pretty interesting story he's a 60 year senior obviously got the injury um hardship for this year he actually started his career at ut san antonio as a quarterback um I think walked on to U of H. He's like a, um, a chemical engineering major or something super difficult and kind of played a decent amount as a backup uh, prior to this year, but neither guy really played a lot in this defense. And they've both been, I think above average in the run defense. And along with that, Oliver, I think the biggest reason why U of H's run D hasn't really skipped a beat over the last couple of years, despite graduating a lot of you know really talented guys. I think, in addition to Ed Oliver, obviously, those two guys, I think, have been kind of the co-MVPs of this defense this year. Yeah, how how would you attack this defense? Uh, it would be through the air running the ball. And how if it's running, how how do you stop Ed Oliver or neutralize him? Oh, it's definitely throwing the ball. I mean, I, I honestly can't remember watching a college football team that has had a bigger gap in uh, how well they defend the run is versus how well they defend the pass. I mean, any, any team that wants to run the ball against us, you know, Ed Oliver at 100%, Ed Oliver at 80%, you know, the, you're absolutely doing what, uh, what U of H would, uh, would like to happen, to see happen. Um, you know, I think there's, you can get the ball to the outside. Obviously, you, you do want to run away from Ed Oliver, if, if at all possible. Running through the middle of the line is probably not going to work out for much of anybody. Um, but it doesn't mean Ed's not going to go chase someone down on the sideline. He's been known to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but definitely, uh, the run defense has been the strength of the Cougars for the last few years, and this year has been no exception. Um, but then heading into this year, there are a lot of question marks in the secondary, and those question marks haven't really been answered in a super satisfying fashion. Um, it doesn't help that Houston's uh, one really experienced safety, Garrett Davis, is injured, is out for the rest of the year. Um, but there's been, we brought in a, a, a sixth year transfer from Notre Dame, Nick Watkins at cornerback. He's been up and down, not real consistent. Um, we have another guy, Isaiah Johnson, who's a former wide receiver who's like 6'4 and has track star speed. And uh, it's, it, everyone keeps saying he's a, he's a pro prospect, you know, just because of the, uh, the, uh, the athleticism, but he's been also 
kind of up and down. He's still only in his second year as a defensive back. Um, so the secondary still has a lot of uh, question marks. So if I was a uh, opposing offensive coordinator, I would definitely be looking to throw the ball as many times as possible. All right. Stieg, I think you have some special teams question, which is everyone's uh, main priority here. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um so, I mean, I want to ask a general question of how has special teams been good for you or how has special teams been for you guys this year? Um, I, I know that your kicker has been pretty much money uh, this entire <laughs> year, but I didn't notice that there are two names in the uh, kicking score sheet. Um, is there a particular reason why is one better long distance or what's going on there? They both haven't been very good this year, to be honest, and that's why you've seen both of them. I think um, Dalton Witherspoon at this point, is getting most of the, if not all of the, you know, kicking out, kicking action, but it has not been a strength to this team this year. Suffice to say. Have you guys uh, noticed that uh, you've utilized the new kickoff rule where you just take the fair catch and start at the 20 or 25? Yeah, I feel like we've seen a, a lot of that. I think anything that gets caught, you know, further back than about the five yard line or so is probably going to get fair caught. I, Feel like most uh, most teams have got you know both opponents and U of H have been doing a lot of fair catching this year, um, both punts and uh, and kicks. I can't I can't hardly remember seeing more than maybe one really long uh, kick return from either team this year. Okay, uh, just one more question from me. Um, how did you guys lose to the middle school in Lubbock? <laughs> oh man, we uh, we actually drove up for that one. Um, God bless. Oh. The, the secondary's inability to even put up a bit of a fight against, I think, a pretty good game plan by Cliff Kingsbury. Like, say what you will about that school. Um, Cliff Kingsbury knows how to create a passing game plan, and we just had no idea how to defend it. And I actually have, like, an overall state of the program question before we go. Uh, obviously, very successful last couple of years. 7-4 and four last year, Hawaii Bowl loss, undefeated so far in the conference this year, 6-1. and one. Is anything other than a conference championship uh, kind of a disappointment for you guys this year? I mean, I think that winning the West Division would be a uh, accomplishment in and of itself. I think we're all aware that... Um, I'll, I'll very diplomatically, since I'm on a South Florida podcast, say that there's a lot of good teams in the East. So if Houston is able to win the West and isn't, doesn't end up, end up winning the conference championship, then, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are some segments of the fan base that will still want to riot. And I mean, we'll be all be disappointed because that would mean that Ed Oliver would end his university of Houston career without a conference championship. And we already went through that, uh, about a decade ago with, uh, Case Keenum, another one of the greats in this program's history who did some amazing things, but came and went without a conference championship. So from that perspective, I think there'll be a lot of disappointment and I'll be a little disappointed if the Cougs aren't able to, uh, to win the conference championship, especially because winning the West doesn't look like it's going to be as much of an accomplishment since Memphis and Navy have pretty much gift wrapped the division for us at this point. <laughs> um, but I think if Houston goes on and wins 10 games, you know, even if uh, if the conference championship isn't part of that, I think most level-headed Cougar fans would be able to take a step back and say that that was still a, a successful season as a whole. Uh, someone asked us on Twitter as one of our Twitter questions for tonight, and I figured you guys would be the best ones to answer that. Um, you guys have SMU next week, I believe, right? Yes. Uh, so they phrased it as a, do you think Houston is overlooking USF because they'll clinch the West with a win over SMU? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, the SMU game has some juice to it just because they're the only other Texas school in this league. But 
I, I don't think um, I, I really don't think that's something like this team is going to do. Like, you know, they, they might lose to USF just on USF being a talented team that matches up badly with U of H in certain spots. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be because they're overlooking it for the SMU game now. I mean, I think if South Florida had a couple losses on the year and a couple of those close wins had gone the other way, then maybe I would be a little bit worried about that. But with a uh, undefeated, you know, nationally ranked team coming into TDECU Stadium, there's a lot of excitement about the game already. And I'm expecting uh, South Florida to have Houston's full focus. And uh, for the fans that are traveling to Houston, where's the best spot to eat? Dustin, you take this first. Best spot to eat in Houston? Any, any genre in particular? Well, I mean, you're in Texas, so probably barbecue, right? Yeah. Where are the, the can't-miss spots? Um, I mean, I think Gatlin's Barbecue is really good in Houston, to be honest. This, and this is heresy. I might get in tr- a little bit of trouble for this. Um, I think uh, kind of w- when you're in Texas, if you go to Austin, you get barbecue. If you go to San Antonio, you get Mexican food. If you go to Houston, you get um, seafood. Uh, although, really, Houston is such an incredibly huge diversity. You can find anything that you want in uh, in Houston. So I'm a, I'm a big uh, Gatlin's barbecue is real good. Good company barbecue is really good if you are looking for that. Uh, Mama Ninfa's is uh, is pretty much unmatched for uh, for Mexican food. But um, yeah, really, you can look at a, pretty much any uh, any type of food. You can't do uh, do too wrong. How about you, Sam? What do you think on that? I would say if y'all are staying downtownish or at least like in the vicinity of U of H East End, there um, there's this place called Moon Tower. It's like it's it's exotic meats. It's burgers. It's like sort of has has like an outdoor area it's 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 a real cool vibe kind of place um moon tower Inn. i would recommend that if you're coming in it's not like the most unbelievable meal you'll ever get but it's really good and it's probably convenient to where y'all are staying and i would also just honestly just about anything in chinatown it's a bit of a hike from downtown area around houston but i think houston's chinatown matches up with the chinatown in any part of the country you can get good chinese malaysian vietnamese Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It's just it's fantastic. I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, does uh, Houston have any of those quintessential college bars that we need to see? No, no, actually, okay. I mean, there's probably there's probably some, but there's it's, gotta be it's, some. Uh, Come on, that's not really Houston scene. Bars? Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Shit! Uh, a bunch of I'll drinkers on this. <laughs> Um, one last question. This is for someone in particular uh, that I think is very interested in this. What's your opinion on Bucky's? Bucky's is the greatest thing uh, that has ever existed, and uh, anyone who does not love Bucky's is no friend of mine. Bucky's is uh, is the greatest. Well, that uh, makes it Jamie happy. That's what I was looking for. Thank you, fellas. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, I want to get you got one last question. I just kind of thirty seconds on uh, how you guys feel now that Kendall Bryles is kind of making the offense click, even though he's um, Kendall Bryles. <laughs> yeah. Put it, putting it nicely. I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll be, I'll be real blunt. Um, he's done a good job with um, the on the field stuff. I still don't think they should have made the hire. Period. Yeah, I mean the uh, the you, you may have noticed from talking to us, we've uh, been doing a lot of road trips. We went to East Carolina, we went to uh, Lubbock, and we won't be there on Saturday. And that's because we're not going to any home games this year because we don't want to even indirectly pay that man's salary. So that probably uh, sums up how Sam and I feel about you. Well, there we go. (laughs) We get to the root of the issue there. Wow. I will say Scott and Holman over the summer when he was hired did a really good piece on their podcast uh, on their SoundCloud on that hire and how you felt Houston Athletics was afterwards and really good piece. I thought that was really nice. 
Yeah, it's Colin. That was the best podcast in the history of the league. That was phenomenal. <laughs> Great job. Seriously. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. We uh, that was a very it was very cathartic. It felt good to get a lot of that uh, what was in our heads out. And uh, we had another episode a couple of weeks later with Brenda Tracy. Uh, she came on and talked about uh, her experiences as a sexual assault survivor. And you know, she as a multi-time visitor of the Houston football program had a lot of uh, thoughts about that as well. So that was another really good one. If you haven't uh, if you haven't uh, checked that out, I would recommend giving that one a listen as well. All right, now uh, uh, where can we find you guys? Uh, Twitter, SoundCloud, where, where can we, uh, listen to you? Yeah, you can, uh, we're on Twitter at S H podcast and we spell podcast P A W D, uh, because we like puns. Um, you can search Scott and Holman podcast on Facebook, or if you go to soundcloud.com slash Scott and Holman, you can find all of our uh, podcast episodes there. And obviously that's linked off of our Twitter as well. So we are uh, very active on Twitter. Um, so we like, we follow everyone from all around the conference. We have a lot of fun on there. So, uh, give us a follow at S H P A W D cast. All right. I uh, appreciate it, guys. Thanks, guys. Last question. Ranch or blue cheese? Blue cheese. Ranch. Easy. No. Nah, you're ranch. Well, internal strife there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. us. All right. Uh, that was Dustin and Sam from the Scott and Holman podcast. I uh, appreciate them coming on and talking to us. Uh, hopefully, Ed Oliver doesn't destroy our lives on Saturday. He will. <laughs> he will. And uh, thank you for listening to the Bluminati podcast presented by RP Electrical Solutions, LLC. You can call them at 813-426-6592. Find them on Facebook at... Eight one, uh, excuse me. RP Electrical Solutions, LLC. <laughs> Again, RP Electrical Solutions, LLC. 813-426-6592. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. See you in Houston. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.